really appreciate that that's come before and the, the sweet spirit in which it was delivered. Um, have similar thoughts on my mind and as Brother Mike started with the, maybe even the frustration we feel sometimes about our, our perspective um, when we feel to be children or we feel to lack understanding and vision and perspective. I want to look with you this morning at three or four chapters in uh, the Gospel account of John, um, where I believe in a couple of case studies we can see this borne out, and uh, I'm thankful um, that we'll be able to come to the same conclusion that Brother Mike did um, as he summarized uh, his thoughts this morning. Uh, remember in, in John, um, John's Gospel is uh, somewhat different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synop- synoptic or narratives that are somewhat chronologically arranged, very factual, is almost like a diary and a narrative. Um, the genealogies that are given of, of Christ through Mary and Joseph are, are um, very natural genealogical accounts. John, when he, he talks about who Jesus Christ is, it begins, he who was in the beginning, right? So his is more of a spiritual um, perspective on Christ. Um, I value that and try to keep that in in mind when we read from John. Uh, John still gives us uh, a narrative and an account of the the life and the ministry of Christ, um, but often brings this spiritual richness um, to the image of Christ. Now, in the first part of of the book of John, um, we have a testimony of John the Baptist himself, kind of how he came on the scene I'll hopefully come back to that, but then we we see that Jesus Christ is manifest, uh, manifest to John and manifest to those that were there with John when John says, Behold the Lamb of God. And then in John chapter 2, really in the last half of John chapter 1, um, we see the Lord um, gathering his disciples, and in John chapter 2, we see the first miracle, and we're kind of off to the races. Right? I mean, Jesus is uh, manifest. He's Advent, he's here, he's doing miraculous things. At this point, we might think that's all we're going to hear about John, right? But in John chapter uh, 2, where we have the miracle of the Lord um, turning the water into the wine, um, we, we find uh, other things happening in John chapter 2. But then we arrive at John chapter 3, and remember, at this point, it feels like John the Baptist is kind of in our um, rearview mirror. Right? Now, this is not John the Baptist that wrote this gospel account. So we've got John the Apostle, the, the apostle whom Jesus loved, writing, and he's writing about Jesus Christ, and he's also writing about John the Baptist. Okay, so there's two different Johns. But as John writes about John the Baptist, we have that in chapter 1. But then we get to John chapter 3. And John chapter 3 um, it should be familiar language to you, but it's a time when Jesus Christ had a conversation with Nicodemus. And the conversation with Nicodemus is about being born again. Okay? Now, one of the things, the hallmarks, I mean, there's wonderful things in John chapter 3. Matter of fact, there's things in John chapter 3 that people put on cardboard signs at football games. right? So, but it's in this context of a conversation that Christ is having with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus has a question about seeing the kingdom, entering into the kingdom. And clearly the Lord's emphasis on you must be born again. Now, you're familiar enough with this account, I I won't spend much time here other than to get this. 
the challenge for Nicodemus, and it's embraced in his answer, Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Okay. Now, this is not Nicodemus being smart. right? He's not being smart aleck. Right? Uh, he's being genuine. Like He doesn't understand what the Lord's talking about. Okay? The Lord says, you must be born again. He's, he's like, Lord, that just it doesn't compute. Like It doesn't make sense. I want to believe. I'm here because I believe. But I don't get it. I, I don't even get how that would be possible. Okay? Now, we know the Lord takes Nicodemus from where he is, and there's glorious, wonderful things. I mean, it's Jesus, so it's going to be good. But some of the best preaching you're going to find like happens right here. Like Nicodemus gets some good preaching, right? And we get it because we have it providentially blessed for us this morning. Okay? But let's just put a pen in that for a moment and say, okay, what we understand about Nicodemus is Nicodemus couldn't understand and the Lord was talking to him about spiritual things. When he said, you must be born again, you must be born from above, he was talking about the regeneration. You must be born of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And when you're born of the Holy Spirit, it changes everything, and things that were impossible are now possible. Things that could not happen, not only may happen, they will happen. Like You will cry unto your Father, and you will cry, Abba, Father, and there's something within you, that spirit alive within you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, that knows that you are his. Okay? Um, beautiful truth, but what we find at this moment is Nicodemus just doesn't seem to be ready or in the right place to understand it. Okay? So just put a pin in that. I'm going to skip then to John chapter 4, the next chapter. Okay? Now in order to do that, I've got to skip over uh, a lot of John chapter 3. Okay? And really, what I want to consider with you this morning is, I want to split John chapter 3 into two halves, and right now I'm skipping both halves, okay? But we're going to go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, and we'll get to that. But it says in verse 5, or verse 4, he must needs go through Samaria, then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. This another chapter that probably is familiar to you, right? When Jesus Christ was at this uh, well of Jacob, and there was a Samaritan woman, and he said unto her, Give me to drink, okay? I'm going to just draw one point out of this as well. And try not to get a raptor on this axle. Okay, so this is a car with two axles. All right, Nicodemus is one, and the Samaritan woman is another. I don't want to get a raptor on either one. Okay, but axles are important because that's how the wheels move. All right, but here in, in chapter four, we have this Samaritan woman, and at some point we get to verse 10. And uh, well, let's see. Well, there's a lot of things she doesn't understand, but let's just, well, since we got to verse seven, we'll pick up from there. For verse 8, it says, For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy me. And verse 9 says, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now I'll tell you right now, this is something, this woman is not misunderstanding. It's something she understands quite well. Right? As a matter of fact, she thinks she understands and Jesus doesn't. Right? Okay. Now, just think about that a little bit. Right? Times when you think you understand and Jesus doesn't. Okay? Have you ever been in that place? Okay. It's a precarious place. Right? Much like uh, Jeremiah. 
in his lamentings, right? He said, here's how I feel, right? And God doesn't understand. Right? And here's a man in John chapter 3 that says, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, being born again, like, how could that even happen, right? Then we get to John chapter 4. Here's a woman that says, you're not even supposed to be talking to me, okay? Have you ever felt maybe, like, it, it'd be unreasonable for the Lord to have a conversation with you, right? That, that he's eternally high and that you're broken and bankrupt and vile. And the devil will reinforce that message, right? There are a lot of people who say, yeah, you're right. Why, why would a Jew speak to a Samaritan? You know, probably one out of every one Jew would say that, right? Like, why would you be talking to a Samaritan? We, we don't have dealings with those people, right? Um, Samaritans were so made to feel that way she embraced it as a truth, right? She didn't even argue, like, Lord, I'm, I'm so glad you're willing to talk to me. She said, you, you really shouldn't be talking to me, right? Like, I'm kind of, I'm fine with it, right? Like, I've, I've been told I'm so bad so long, I believe it, and you being a Jew, like, I feel a responsibility to tell you, I, I'm a Samaritan, right? Like, you, you shouldn't be talking to me, right? At this point, the Lord said, oh, I was mistaken. I didn't realize you were a Samaritan dog, Forgive me for what I said, I'm going to move on. No, of course not, right? Because what she thought she knew and understood and the Lord didn't understand, you're going to find is actually just the opposite, right? And this has a lot to do with what Brother Mike was saying about this perspective that we lack um, as children. Um, and, and what I will say is that um, I do remember the problems that I faced as a child. And at the time, they were the biggest problems that I ever felt and faced. And I felt to be a sinner. And it wasn't because I was pretending. It was because I was a sinner, mm -hmm. right? And I really did feel convicted of sin. Now, if I could trade my 48-year-old sins for my 8-year-old sins, mm -hmm. I would do it in a, in a heartbeat. Yeah. Okay. I would rather be a 48-year-old with 8-year-old sins or an 8-year-old with 8-year-old sins than to be where I am today. Okay? I, I'm, not, I'm not happy with my maturity in sinning. Okay. Um, but what we see here is there is a perspective that um, comes from that. And the Apostle Paul talks about in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about the reasonableness of when I was a child. You know what the next line is? I spake as a child. You know what? That's very reasonable, right? Now, when you have a baby and you're about to have a baby, right? One of the coolest things is this watching this baby communicate without words. And like Brother Mike said, they can sing in their own little language, right? And I remember a son of mine who wanted to talk and wanted us to understand him well before we could understand him, and it frustrated the heck out of him, right? You could just see it. He was like, you people don't get it, right? He had one bad report card. It was in kindergarten. He couldn't deal with kindergartners, right? So that's, that's the way he was wired. But I can say is, um, if you have a child and you look at them, and they, they ga-ga, and they goo-goo, right? And they call you dada and mama, right? It's perfectly reasonable, and it's beautiful, right? Now, if I came to church today, and I saw Brother Sean in the hall, and I said, ga-ga, goo-goo, it, it wouldn't be reasonable. It'd be kind of weird and creepy, right? Because it wouldn't be reasonable for me to speak as a child, because there's an expectation that I've put away childish things, okay? But do you ever mock a baby for going, dada? Let me say, it's father, not dad, dad. Like, kids don't get in trouble for being children, right? Because that's, it's reasonable. When I was a child, 
I speak as a child. I understood as a child. I perceive things as a child. Okay? Now, the lesson of, of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you look at it, it sounds like he's saying, now I'm a man and I've put away childish things. Okay? He's talking about naturally. Okay? Spiritually, though, what the Apostle Paul is saying is, I'm still a child and I'm still seeing things. I'm seeing through a glass darkly. I'm not seeing things with full maturity. Now, there'll be a time when I will know even as I'm known. But until then, do you know what's reasonable? The Lord to deal with you just as you are. Right? So there's some things we don't understand, and the Lord understands them. There's some things we don't understand, and the Lord understands that we don't understand them. Right? And the Lord has, is, has not been unreasonable with us. Okay? And as Brother Mike said, a beautiful point, it's a blessing, some of the, the dark glass that we've been able to see through. There's some things that we're not seeing clearly, and it's for our own good. Right? Because if we truly saw what an offense that we were to God, I don't know how we would be able to, to move forward. Okay? So just when you, like in the evening and you're driving into the sunset and the sun is blinding you, um, sunglasses, right? They actually make you see less, but you can see better. Yeah. Right? So I think that's how the dark glasses are that the Lord's given us. It's a blessing to see through a glass darkly. It's not the frustration that we make it like, oh, I can't see the way I want to see. It's like the Lord is protecting us from some things so that we can see. Okay? So we've been blessed with a perspective, but here we have Nicodemus. Just He's not in the right place to understand what the Lord's saying. Here we have this Samaritan woman. She says, you're not even supposed to be talking to me. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And the heavens opened up, and she had perfect understanding, and there was this, ah. No, it, when she said, The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast, that, hast thou that living water? Okay. This sounds like Nicodemus part two. Right? Nicodemus says, how could a woman, how could you be born again, enter into your mother's womb? And she's like, how could you draw this wonderful water? You don't even have a bucket. Right? Um, the Lord told his disciples, be, be uh, wary, uh, uh, or I'm not sure what the word is, careful of the, the leaven of the Sadducee and of the Pharisee. And they thought he was talking about that they had forgotten to bring bread, which seemed to be a problem for the disciples over and over. Right? And the Lord had a solution over and over, right? So the Lord wasn't stunned by the fact that they forgot bread, and the Lord wasn't freaking out. I mean, the Lord didn't have a bread problem. The Lord didn't have a water problem. The Lord didn't have a wine problem. The Lord could provide all those things, any of those things, in any place and any time, okay? So what we have here is John chapter 3, this, I don't understand what you mean by being born again, and it's because he was talking about something spiritual, right? Then we have in John chapter 4, I don't understand what you mean about this living water. How can you draw out living water? You don't even have a bucket, right? Again, he was talking about something spiritual, right? This living water, he wasn't talking about water you'd get out of a well. He's talking about a well that springs up within you, right? Matter of fact, what he was talking about in John chapter 4 is exactly the thing he was talking about in John chapter 3, right? Being born of the Spirit and having Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? That's wonderful, right? You go to San Marcos, you can see where the San Marcos River starts. It's pretty easy to see where a, where a river ends. Like it pours into another river, it pours into the, a big body of water, it pours into the gulf or into an ocean. It's pretty neat to see where a river starts. Right? You can go to Ocarina Springs, and there's just 
a hole in the ground with water coming out of it. And that's the start of the San Marcos River, right? And it's, it's big enough you can put a tube on it. It's a, it's a significant body of water coming out of a hole in the ground. Right? Here, the Lord's saying, there is a spring of water within you. Right? Now, we won't go any further with that because there's six minutes, but we won't go any further with that. But we got two people not understanding because they're thinking naturally rather than spiritually. Now, there is something between John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. Okay? And you said, well, what could you fit between John chapter 3 and John chapter 4? Well, he said, I'd like to consider John chapter 3 in two, two parts. Okay? The first part of John chapter 3 is the Lord's uh, conversation with Nicodemus. Okay? And that ends in verse 21. But then we're going to find something um, conveniently placed here between the first half of John chapter 13, or John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. It says in verse 22, After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also. You remember we had John in the, the first chapter? And we had this record of John uh, preaching in the wilderness, and he baptized Christ Jesus. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God, and then we're off to the races. And it's Jesus, 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 right? Except right here in this between the conversation that Christ had with Nicodemus and the conversation that Christ had with the Samaritan woman, we have this. John also was baptizing in Enon uh, near to Salem because there was much water there and they came and were baptized and John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. Now I can tell you I don't have the time that I, I would need um, to go into this, but there was a question, a theological question about purifying, okay? which essentially is the theological question about how are you made clean? Okay? Now, if you take the theological question about how are you made clean and you put it right in the context and the proximity of water baptism, it will create some questions. Right? So there's these questions about John's water baptism and question about Jesus and his disciple his disciples and their water baptism and this whole notion of being made clean. Okay? Now, I, at Brother David's expense, I made a little joke at him this morning that um, he's going to have two showers two days in a row. Right? And for me, like once a week is enough. Right? But Brother David has been showered yesterday. He's going to be showered today. That's like two showers in two days. Right? So that's, that's quite a hallmark. Right? So that's a high water mark. Okay? All joking aside, right? a shower has nothing to do with being made clean. You're being showered with gifts, right? But when we look at water baptism, there's this question about being made clean, okay? And what would make someone think that water baptism would make them clean? The same thing that would make a man react when you say you must be born again to saying, how, how could you be born again? The same thing that would make a woman say, how can you draw this wonderful water when you don't have a bucket, okay? Do you understand the misconception about water baptism is sandwiched right here between the natural misunderstanding about spiritual birth and the natural misunderstanding about the spiritual fountain of life that's within the child of God. And so here we have this question. How are we made clean? Okay? And the reason why there would be this question about purifying is water had been used for purifying. And now all of a sudden, water's in the middle of the church service, right? People are being baptized as a religious ordinance or institution, right? So people, there's this discussion between John's disciples and the Jews about the purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, baptizeth, and all men come to him. 
John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. Now I want you to put a pin in that. Okay? A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. Okay? What I would tell you right now is that we have pretty good ground to think that John is seeing differently than Nicodemus. And John is seeing differently than the Samaritan woman. Okay? He says, For a man to receive anything, it must uh, have come from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. For this my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Now, just real quickly, if you've ever been to a wedding, okay, when, when you've been at a wedding, you are essentially in one of three roles. Okay? You are either the groom, okay, or you are the bride, or you are a witness. Now, as a witness, there's a couple specialized witnesses um, in, in a marriage. One is actually officiating. So you might could say there's four ways you could go to a wedding, but the officiant is certainly witnessing the marriage. Okay? And then there's this great concept of the maid of honor. Right? Now, oddly enough, if there's any lady of honor at the wedding, who would we say it would be? It'd be the bride. But the bride's friend gets a nod, and you call her the maid of honor. Right? First runner-up. Okay? And then you have this man standing next to the bridegroom, and what in the world will we call him? Best. The best man. Like, that's got to be pretty selfless at your own wedding to name a best man. Right? Better than, it's my wedding, for goodness sake. Right? But we have this guy called the best man. Okay? And then we have a group of people who are family, loved ones, friends, co-workers, church members, that are there really for one purpose, and that is to behold, to witness the marriage of the bride and the groom. Okay? Now, what John the Baptist... Now, I'll tell you this. I believe John the Baptist feels as though he is part of the bride of Christ. Okay? I believe he feels that he is the bride that Jesus Christ came to marry, and he sees himself as the bride. Okay? And each of us, male or female, we ought to identify ourselves with the bride of Christ. That Jesus Christ, he is the one and only groom, and I'll tell you this, he's the best man. Okay? But he's the groom... And we are the bride. And we probably have it a little backwards when we sing, Here Comes the Bride. right? Because the only one who's really singing, Here Comes the Bride, is the groom. Yeah. The groom is the one who ought to be happy to see the bride. Okay? Everybody else can be happy to see the bride, but they ought to be equally happy to see the groom. Right? But the one that says, Here is my bride, that's, that's the groom that should be singing that. Okay? And if you want to see something beautiful... Well, let me put it this way. If you want to see a very expensive gown, look at the bride. Okay? If you want to see something beautiful, look at a grown man crying at the, at the vision of his bride. Okay? If you haven't done that, try it. Like, when everybody says, here comes the bride, look the other way. You know, not, not in an offensive way, but kind of sneak an eye. You'll see a man crumbling in front of you usually out of just sheer love, admiration for his bride. Okay? I can tell you this, that at the wedding between Christ and his bride... We were adorned beautifully as his bride. Okay. But there's something beautiful to behold in the face of Jesus Christ at the side of his bride. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's one thing the bride gets to see. Yeah. right? Because the bride's coming right down the middle. And you know who she sees? right? Not the efficient, not the flowers, not did that arrangement come out the way. She sees her groom. right? And that's her focus. And the groom sees his bride, and that's her focus. So we see ourselves not as the groom, we see ourselves as the bride. Okay? But here, oddly enough, John the Baptist also identifies himself this way. 
and I think it's pretty fair to say, he's saying, I was best man at the wedding, right? He said, he that come, uh, in verse 29, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. John the Baptist is saying, I was standing right there, and I saw the bridegroom, and I saw the bride. I was right there when the father of the bride handed him over to the groom, and I saw them take hands. I was as close as you could be, right? And I heard the bridegroom's voice, and I heard the love that he had for the bride, and it's enough. Like, I've seen the Lord's salvation. Let thy servant depart in peace. This best man has done his job, right? I witnessed the love that the bridegroom had for the bride. Okay? Time's already out, and I hadn't even got even in the direction. But what I want to bring before you here is the, if we're plagued with the Nicodemus mindset, if we don't understand what the Lord's talking about, if we're over here with the Samaritan woman and we think we've got it figured out and we don't have it figured out and we're frustrated with that, as Brother Mike said, we get frustrated with what we can't see and that we don't have it all figured out. <clears throat> right here in the middle is something that we ought to understand and appreciate. Okay? It is all about Jesus Christ. Okay? And what John says, he goes, I am not Christ. I'm not the groom. Okay? He's saying, I, he must increase and I must decrease. If, if you're in that Nicodemus mindset, do you know the, the solution and the deliverance from that? He must increase, I must decrease. If you are the Samaritan woman, you think he's not even supposed to be talking to me and how could he draw water? He must increase and I must decrease. Right? What we know, what we think we understand, that limited perspective and vision that we have, that's got to decrease. Right? Our reliance on things that we can see and know and measure, that's got to go down and something else has to ramp up in its place. And what ramps up in its place is the faithful perspective with which we can see God. He must increase and I must decrease. Right? There's much more here, but I'll just leave with that, that when we think about that perspective uh, that we had as children and maybe the perspective that we have now, some of that comes through natural growth, but the real blessing for us is not becoming... Uh, more smarter grown-ups, right? Or having worse sins to, to mourn and worry about. It's getting to a place because of the divine intervention of God, because of that wellspring of salvation within us, that in any circumstance, in any situation, when you can lean to your own understanding or you can lean to the faith and confidence that you have in Christ Jesus, adopt best man thinking, Right? I've seen the groom. I've seen the love that he has for the bride. It's about him and his bride. My thinking, my understanding, my misunderstanding, my frustration, let it decrease at the increase of my Savior Christ Jesus. God bless you.